Uh, welcome back to 2002 Film Odyssey. We're back with part two of our 2021 year in review. Uh, and we're going to be finishing off our top 10 lists. We're going to be doing awards, and then we're going to read some guest and listener top fives, top tens, you name it. We got it. Uh, I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. And we're back. Uh, so we had we had some technical issues. We lost about half of a file uh, for last week's episode. Um so we are re-recording the rest of the episode right now and we're releasing it as two episodes which is fine honestly because it was like a four-hour episode anyway to begin with yeah and the last episode ended right in the middle of our top 10 list right it was a cliffhanger a cliffhanger but for like a weird number number six (laughs) so do you want to briefly remind our listeners of are numbers 10 through 7 to this point so that they they can kind of if they don't remember exactly what we said last week yeah um so my number 10 is pig my number nine is Teton. my number eight is about endlessness and my number seven is judas and the black messiah all right uh, and my number 10 was Bergman Island. My number nine was The Matrix Resurrections. My number eight was The Last Duel. And my number seven was Pig. All right. So that brings us up to number six. So are you ready to, to get into it? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. All right. Well, you were up. All right. Well, my number six is... Dune. Dune. Um, yeah. So I, I think I said before that my expectations for Dune weren't super high, but they also weren't super low either. I It was kind of like right in the middle, like very neutral. Um, and I think that's because uh, as far as Denis Villeneuve goes and his films I've always been in the middle like I'm I'm a medium on Denis Villeneuve and his films um I think I came in to his films on Prisoners I I did not see um the movies that came out right before that like I didn't see Asandis or I didn't see um polytechnic um and i definitely didn't see his you know his very early french canadian films um and uh, you know prisoners i it's a movie that i i liked certain things about it a lot like i i I really liked it as just kind of a moody detective procedural but when it kind of gets into the the moral drama and like uh the ethical dilemmas that's i i think that's where i thought it just got a little too self-serious and uh and i i don't think it's it's a great movie i know a lot of people think it's great but i there's just there's an element that kind of turns me off a little bit and i'm i'm not going to go in to each and every one of 
Denis Villeneuve's films and say why, you know, what I like about each one or what I don't like about each one. But I, I just bring that up because there's just there's an element that just turns me off just a little bit. And I think that's true for most of the films of his that I have seen. There's just something that keeps them from being either really good or great. Um, how do you feel about his films in general? Uh, yeah, I, I generally like Denny Villeneuve. Um, I, I, I do kind of think that he's at his best when he's working sort of within a genre structure as opposed to maybe like more serious stuff. Um, although I do really like Sicario, which is kind of like a genre take on a current events film, like kind of like a more action packed version of like traffic or something like that. Um, but uh, I, I generally like him. I don't love prisoners. Um, it's okay. Uh, I do like Sicario, like I said, and I, I like Blade Runner 2049 a lot. Um, I haven't seen Enemy, and I haven't seen any of his earlier like French-Canadian stuff either. Um, I know David Fincher's a fan of, uh, what, Ansandis? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, I think that's the French pronunciation. French-Canadian. Um, I mean, it is a slightly different language. Um, I think Arrival's okay. Uh, there's things I like about Arrival and, and uh, some things that I, I don't. Um, but I do think that Dune is probably my favorite of his movies. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think his kind of big budget franchise movies are surprisingly his like best movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he just, uh, he, he just works in the, the genre sphere very well. Um, like he's kind of, uh, almost sort of assuming the, the mantle from like Christopher Nolan from when we were younger, of like the 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 serious minded uh genre filmmaker or whatever um and i know christopher nolan's still like trying to do those um but i neither of us liked tenet um at all no um tenet was bad and so i i mean like i his last two like sort of big sci-fi movies that are based on sort of beloved franchises like Dune and Blade Runner. I thought we were both really good. Um, I don't think Blade Runner 2049 is like as good as the original Blade Runner movie, but that's fine. That's like a classic. So it's hard to, hard to argue with that. Um, and I do think like structurally this adaptation of Dune is really good as someone who's read the book and like, you know, it is a very difficult book to adapt, but um, I thought that you did a really admirable job with it. Yeah, I would say it's easily the best Dune movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like the David Lynch one, but it's better as its own curio than as a Dune adaptation. Yeah, it's a little more gonzo. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, we saw this in IMAX. Um, Which is the way to see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I I wonder if, like, there's there's an element of people who haven't 
had the opportunity to see this in an IMAX, not really fully understanding uh, what a game changer that is for the experience of this movie. Yeah, it's just like a an incredible sensory experience and an incredible oral experience. Mm-hmm. Just like hearing, you know, the, you know, like the ships rumble and, you know, like the the kind of the overwhelming nature of the Hans Zimmer score. Um, it was really something to see it in IMAX. Yeah. The sound is what really blew me away when we saw it on the, in the IMAX theater. Um, especially my, my favorite parts, the part that I always like sort of reference when, when I tell people about seeing Dune in IMAX is when Lady Jessica uses the voice and you get that like really deep bass effect. Um, that comes through and it was uh just such a cool way to see that movie yeah um yeah it it reminded me a lot of when we saw uh ad astra in the like the amc version of imax whatever that theater is that was like another really cool uh like audio visual experience that it just reminded me of that in a lot of ways yeah it's the dolby cinema room at amc theaters uh, well, I, AMC has IMAX theaters too, but yeah, it was it's like the other, like sort of tech technical nerd version of a theater. Um, yeah, and that that was sonically, audio visually, a, a very nice experience, um, and that's a really good movie too. Um, but yeah, I don't know when I think about like ex- theater experiences, like Dune kind of stands pretty high above most movies i've seen for a really long time as being like a standout theatrical experience and we didn't like i mean not that this is this is a total like coastal elite problem but like we didn't even see it at the best imax theater there's varying degrees of imax theaters like (laughs) like uh, elsewhere in southern california you can go to even better ones and there's people there's people that live you know wherever that may not even have like a normal ass movie theater in their town um and we're just like complaining about going to the worst imax theater near us but um um yeah i mean it's not the worst theater no um but you know even so it was still a great experience Mm -hmm. definitely um and i think that that's a movie that is just as much about the like audio visual special effects all that vibe makes up part of what seeing dune is all about like it is meant to be this kind of like experience versus just a movie and um yeah it's i love it i can't wait for uh part two now that they finally confirmed it yeah because it got the green light pretty much right after the first one came out they confirmed it like two weeks after i think dune came out i think it did like it did pretty well uh pretty well at the box office right yeah, I think so. I think I think they basically just needed to see like some numbers and obviously their numbers are going to be skewed to reflect the fact that it was streaming on HBO, but I imagine they probably got really good uh HBO streaming numbers 
and then it did pretty well at the box office because I remember that was that's probably the most crowded movie I've not the not the IMAX showing because we went like what like a week week and a half maybe two weeks after it had come out but um when I saw it opening night that was probably the most crowded theater I've been to basically the entire length of the pandemic so like I think it did pretty well um certainly no like spider-man that's the that's like the high watermark for for movies these days and that movie made like a ton of money despite you know omicron yeah spider-man broke records yeah uh all right well my number six was the french dispatch a movie that we have talked about a lot on this show already because we kind of kind of had a portion of an episode dedicated to it after we saw it um yeah that was the kung pao episode was that like okay okay i couldn't remember exactly which one i knew it was a movie where we didn't actually want to talk about that movie all that much we just wanted to uh to pad it with some other stuff yeah we talked way more about the french dispatch than kung pao well (laughs) there uh, to be fair to us there's a lot more you can say about the french dispatch than kung pao like what do you say about kung pao you're either you're either on its level or you're not like that's that's about all it is um but yeah the french dispatch um that's a movie that uh i really enjoyed um i picked it up on blu-ray i haven't watched it again yet but i have talked to a couple of people that have rewatched it uh since they first saw it and uh liked it even more the second time so i'm kind of excited to dig into it and see if i move it up my wes anderson ranks maybe or something like that i don't know that's it's a, it's in a pretty impenetrable top three to get into but uh uh i i am excited to uh sort of uh soak it all in again just because there's with the three segments and then like the, the owen wilson like interlude and stuff there there's a lot of stuff that you can kind of dig into on rewatches so uh, i'm excited to do that well it works out that you bring it up as your number six because it's my number five. Oh, perfect yeah this was a movie i kind of loved and i it's one of those movies i wish were actually longer or um you know i don't have any issues or complaints about this movie but i almost wish that some of the segments could have been their own uh, like feature length films right i don't know if i i don't know if i'd call it a complaint i but like i would say it's maybe one of the less meaningful wes anderson movies where he's just kind of like he's not necessarily going for pathos and stuff like he often tries to so it's it's more just kind of like oh here's some short stories kind of wrapped around one central idea um and i think maybe that's part of why it doesn't emotionally connect with me all that much but that's okay like not every movie has to like you don't you don't hold bad trip or a comedy against it when you, when it doesn't like you know hit you in your feelings or anything like that so uh, not every movie has to do that, but yeah, I mean, I guess that would that would be part of the reason why I would say it's not as high up on my Wes Anderson ranks, um, even if it is pretty high on my list. Number six is, I mean, in a decent top ten year, um, pretty good, and it is like I don't know. We kind of remarked on this after we saw it, but it is 
very Wes Anderson. Like, um, he just is, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on his formula. And I think it serves him better because, you know, when after what the Darjeeling limited, some of the shine was off him as a filmmaker a little bit. And, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, I guess you can speak to this, but like, personally, I expected him to, to go a little more towards the realism route. Um, especially based on the, uh, Hotel Chevalier short that's before Darjeeling limited, which is kind of a little rawer than rawer, is that a word? More raw, uh, than, uh, most Wes Anderson things. Um, but he actually went the opposite direction and, you know, sort of looked his critics in the eye and said like, well, I'm going to make my stuff. And like sort of with each progressive, uh, live action movie since, um, they've gotten increasingly, you know, twee dollhousey and, and Wes Anderson. And they've all been good. All of his live action movies that he's made since, uh, Darjeeling limited have been like really good. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel is my number two uh, Wes Anderson movie of all time. I think that's one of the funniest, best movies of the last decade. And uh, this one is similarly, like, extremely Wes Anderson. It's got some, some like, random stop-motion effects. It's, you know, immaculately framed, and everything is exactly as it should be, and it works. Yeah, I feel like if, at this point, if your big complaint about his movies is that they're too precious or too twee or, you know, too much of his style, like, that's not really a valid complaint anymore at this point. Right. But, yeah, as you said, this is a pretty uh, perfect-looking movie, very, you know, immaculately composed. Um, Yeah, I gotta pick this one up on Blu-ray. I haven't done that yet. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I debated not picking it up because I was, uh, I'm expecting a Criterion version at some point as all of his movies have gotten, um, save for Isle of Dogs. Um, so I don't, it's possible that it could be a while if, if Isle of Dogs is still something they're gonna, they're gonna put out if they're just gonna skip that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just went ahead, I pulled the trigger, I picked it up. Uh, I was hoping for a 4K release, just because I know it's not, like, the typical kind of movie associated with 4K discs. But, uh, I, I mean, to me, that I don't know, it's like when people were like, why would I ever buy a comedy on Blu-ray? And it's like, well, I just want to own the movie in its best possible format. Um, and I wish that this got a 4K release, but it didn't, so it's fine. I think the digital copy is actually 4K, so I could, like, download that and watch it in 4K. But, um, uh, well, you're, that was your number five, right? So, yeah, that was my number five. Well, my number five is a movie we just talked about also. My number five is Dune. So, uh, we don't really have to spend too much time on that. Um, yeah, so Dune Rules. I don't really have anything else to add other than what we already said when we talked about it a few minutes ago. Um, yeah, I don't really have too much to add um, about Dune. One thing I did want to mention about Denny Villeneuve is um, 
I was doing some research about some of his earlier films, and I saw that he made a movie called uh, Maelstrom that came out in 2000 in Canada, and it was released here in the States in the year... 2002. Yes. Funny if I said, like, 2003 or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, if we want to keep talking about Denis Villeneuve, we could do... An entire episode on that film and his body of work. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm down. Uh, I've always wanted to see Enemy, uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal one that he did, and I never saw that one. Yeah, Enemy's good. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're officially into our top fives, uh, so I think it's time for your number four. Yes, my number four is Memoria, the new film from the Thai filmmaker Apichatpong Verasethakun. This movie stars Tilda Swinton as a uh, either she's like either like a botanist or an orchid farmer who is visiting Colombia and she starts to experience these like loud banging noises in her head and uh, you know maybe it's uh, like exploding head syndrome or maybe it's something else she's not entirely sure what it is so she kind of starts to conduct this. Uh, investigation of sorts um, in Colombia to try and figure out what this sound is that she is experiencing in her head. There is kind of a sci-fi element to this movie, but, you know, make no mistake, this is, like, not a, a puzzle box movie. This is not the kind of movie that you're supposed to try and solve or piece, uh, like, a plot together. It's more so about the uh, experience and the way that you you kind of feel the movie. This is very much slow cinema, very long takes, long unbroken takes with very little to no camera movement. But I think that if you have the patience to immerse yourself in this movie and kind of get on its wavelength, I think you'll find it to be a very rewarding and kind of hypnotic experience. But if you like this filmmaker's other films, like Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, and Cemetery of Splendor, then I would definitely recommend this movie to you. Um, if this doesn't sound like it would be your thing, then maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't enjoy it. This is uh, definitely the kind of movie that Travis would make fun of me for liking. Yeah, Travis's go-to joke about uh, your, some of your... Uh your favorite movies from over the years was just like making up a, a, a stupid sounding premise, like a, like an Iranian movie about a ketchup factory or something like that. Like that's, that's one of his go-to jokes. Right. And it would, the movie would just be called a ketchup factory. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it's called. Um, yeah. Travis probably would not have a good time with this and you know, it's not for everybody. Um, I think I, described it to you before as like uh the film version of ambient music sounds like a fucking snooze just kidding (laughs) uh just kidding it sounds interesting i mean you might think it's a snooze i mean i i think it's entirely possible that i think it's a snooze but it it i mean it's also not something i'm opposed to trying to watch either Um, uh but Yeah, this was something that uh, I've been waiting for for kind of a while. I think I 
I put it on my letterboxed watch list like back in like early 2019. Um, so I've been waiting for waiting for this for a while. Um, and it's got kind of an interesting release pattern that I think we've talked about. Like it's basically it's being released as like a never ending roadshow. Like there is no plan for a physical release on blu-ray or anything like that and it's not going to be released on streaming or any kind of streaming platform it's just going to be shown in theaters like one city at a time for the foreseeable future interesting so uh, if you want to watch it you might have to get creative and find a you know a way to watch it on the internet you know you might have to figure that out sure you can figure out a way i'm sure you can intuit what uh what you mean by that (laughs) we can't make any official endorsements but uh you get it um okay well my number four is jane campion's the power of the dog uh this was a movie that i i well i'd never seen a jane campion movie before so this was my first and I, i knew kind of a little bit about her deal that there's a little bit more you know under the surface despite some of her movies having these kind of uh borderline oscar Beatty sounding premises um so i i mean i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything about this movie like this is a movie that um pays itself off like tremendously in the end and i think that it is worth going into it as blind as possible. Um, so I won't really get into it except to say that like the final act of this movie is so incredibly well done and uh, fascinating and cynical and just... It, I, it's so interesting um, that, you know, because I think... I think like the first part of this movie's a little wonky for me. Like it's a little eh. Like I get it, but at the same time, but it's it turns out to I think be crucial because it's setting up kind of what what the rest of the movie's gonna do. And um I don't know, it's hard for me to really <laughs> it's hard for me to really really say too much because I really don't want anybody who might be interested in watching this to know anything about it um yeah the the plot turns are very unexpected and satisfying yeah absolutely um and this is a movie it's on netflix it's the only way to watch it i wish i could have seen it in theaters just because it has nice cinematography it's got a great johnny greenwood score it would have been a fun movie to watch in theaters especially um just to kind of see everyone's gauge everyone's reactions like walking out of the theater like that's one of my favorite things to do whenever I see a movie that is I, I don't know got got a an interesting ending or uh, you know goes somewhere maybe unexpected. Um, so like I don't know it would have been cool to do that, but as uh, an American, it's only available uh, on Netflix. So everyone you know should be able to watch it. It's a movie that. You know, I would say everyone, everyone either has a Netflix account or knows somebody with a Netflix account. So, like, I would highly recommend to check this movie out. Um, 
sort of thematically, I think it reminded me a bit of uh, the Phantom Thread. Um, and it, you know, it strikes a lot of similar notes to the Phantom Thread, um, which is another amazing movie that goes to an unexpected place. Um, and yeah, I, I really loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. And, um, and it's going to rank a little bit higher on my list, but, uh, I think you're right. It goes in very unexpected directions and it's, you know, it's, it is very similar to Phantom Thread in that it's about like shifting power dynamics and like psychological warfare it it made me really want to check out the novel that it's based on. Were you familiar with the novel at all? Uh, no, I wasn't. Only only when I was like looking up the movie and stuff on Wikipedia after I watched it did I familiarize myself with the book. So yeah, I want to read it because it's a very interesting story and it's it goes in unexpected directions, like we said, and it's very suspenseful even when you're not sure why it is suspenseful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, it's just the way that Jane Campion rat, you know, ratchets up the tension as the movie's going along, like again, very subtly, but um, still super noticeable uh, if you're kind of in tune with what the movie's doing. And um, that Johnny Greenwood score is, you know, really solid kind of reminds me of his there will be blood score because it's got these like very like intense violin work and uh, it it really kind of uh, conveys how you're supposed to be feeling while you're watching you know what you may not fully understand what's going on so yeah it's it's just a fascinating movie yeah and it's got terrific performances across the board yeah yeah uh yeah i i liked everyone uh the kid is what cody smith mcphee is that his name um he's yeah he's in that uh western that i've been wanting to watch for a couple of years and just have never got around to uh slow west with michael fassbender which is directed by the uh guy from the beta band which is interesting to me um um and uh jesse plemons always super reliable he's good i i think he is kind of given the least work to do of the sort of the the four main characters um but that's i mean it, it serves the story fine like i'm i was never like oh we need more plemons other than me thinking jesse plemons is a good actor um but yeah kirsten dunce is really good um, she and Jesse Plemons are like married in real life too. So, uh, I guess that's kind of fun. Yeah. I think they prefer to work together. I think so. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. I think they've done like a lot of work together, like a few things, even besides this together after Fargo. Like I think there's some other movie that they're in together. Uh, so yeah, well, they're both really good in this movie. Um, so yeah, good movie. Should we move on to our number three? Top three. Yeah, number three. My number three is Ryosuke Hamaguchi's uh, Drive My Car, uh, a Japanese drama based on a Murakami short story, a Haruki Murakami short story. It is about a 
theater actor and director who suffers a loss. If it sounds like I am being vague, that is intentional because I don't want to spoil too much. But this is a movie about that character's processes, his grieving process and his creative process, and how those two things kind of converge and kind of work together. This is a three-hour movie, but while the pacing is on the slower side, it's very thoughtfully paced, and it's in tune with its very measured performances. And uh, this is a movie that's going to come up again when we get to our um, acting awards. Okay. Very foreboding. Uh, That's another movie that's kind of hard to track down right now as well right yeah it has a very limited release right now but hopefully at some point it'll be available on some kind of streaming service yeah hopefully at least to rent um but uh i don't know the the business model for streaming definitely seems to be different with like the indie studios versus the bigger studios just because their revenue the revenue streams are way different so who knows when it'll be available eventually it will be but um yeah yeah i think it won the golden globe for best foreign film this year uh yeah that's the thing that i think happened since we recorded the golden globes happened uh the golden globe the weirdest golden globes ever because they i didn't even know they were happening until like the night of and then i saw i saw all the results um because they didn't stream it nobody attended they just released the winners, or I don't know, maybe people attended, but it wasn't televised. Um, and they just released the winners. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it did pretty, Drive My Car did pretty well. Um, uh, so did like West Side Story. Um, but yeah, very strange the way they did that. Um, which I can understand maybe doing like a much smaller event. Um, I'm surprised they didn't just do like some sort of webcast or whatever, where they kind of announced the winners, but no, it was all private. Um, I don't know. Hollywood foreign press, uh, sucks ass. So golden globes are stupid. Um, not the Oscars are really much better, but, um, I think the Oscars are still happening as normal, but yeah, that's weird. Now, did the golden globes have like a, like a normal ceremony and a host and everything or i don't know i don't know if there was or not um i wasn't there yeah i just i just saw uh i saw all the the humbug because they like the big tweet that they they got like noticed for was saying like if uh laughter is the best medicine then west side story will cure what ails you is what they tweeted after West Side Story won Best Musical or Comedy. Um, and that's just funny because West Side Story is not a laugh riot at all. Like, <laughs> everyone everyone except, like, one person dies in that movie. So, um, it's a, that was a strange thing to tweet. Like, I know it won Best Comedy or Musical because it was a musical, but uh, just a weird thing to say. Um, and then that was also the way I found out that they even did the Golden Globes, too. So uh, it just happened like a random Saturday night. And then they they released all the lists. So 
Um, the Oscars are going to have a host, though. They did announce that. They're not doing the thing that they've done for a couple of years, which is just, like, have different presenters with no host. I think they're actually going to do a host this year. Um, who knows what that'll be. So they didn't get Ricky Gervais to host this year. Yeah, he was he was standing outside uh, telling everyone who walked in that God wasn't real on their way in with, like, a big sign. Uh, he really wanted everyone to know. All right. Uh, my number three is uh, another movie kind of similar to Dune, which is uh, a movie that's very much like kind of a, a sonic experience um, about like just kind of soaking in the visuals, soaking in the sound, the music. Uh, and it's uh, part of something uh, I guess we'll dub vibe cinema and which I hate saying the word vibe. Uh, I don't remember if I cut all that stuff from last week's episode or if I said it in last week's episode too, but it's dumb to talk about vibes as much as uh, I'm going to. But uh, The Green Knight is my number three. Um, And it's a movie that is not reminiscent of a Wes Anderson movie, but it is reminiscent of a Wes Anderson movie in that, like, everything feels super immaculately done like it's very um intentional the shots are very well constructed uh it's a beautiful movie i love the score um and i love the kind of bizarre philosophical twist on uh fantasy um it's interesting to kind of see like a higher art version of fantasy filmmaking um just because I don't think that's a genre that's really gotten a lot of that. Um, a lot of fantasy stuff tends to be, you know, pretty accessible stuff like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, or it tends to be like goofy stuff like Neil Gaiman stuff that like, you know, you have to be really into. Otherwise you think it's like unwatchable crap. Like, that's kind of how I think of, like, Neil Gaiman, like, Stardust and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's, I don't mean to, like, shame anybody who likes that. I just mean, like, it, you know, it, it has its fans, but that's about it. Like, it doesn't have a lot of, like, mainstream mass appeal. And this movie is just kind of, like, you know, it does kind of the classic A24 thing, which is a sort of a highbrow, uh, elevated genre um, thing, but he does it with fantasy, like I said, and, um, I don't know, I, it's just such a, such a good movie, it's, um, it's very much told, like, kind of, like, an odyssey, uh, much like the show, um, where, you know, he encounters different characters and meets different people along the way and has, you know, these different, uh, sort of scenes, um, uh, so it's like the Odyssey with Armand Desante. <laughs> uh, great movie, great movie. The Armand Desante Odyssey, uh, made for television adaptation, that I've seen at least three times in my life, because I watched it twice in school and once for fun on DVD. Uh, didn't have that much fun, but <laughs> uh, um, yeah, The Green Knight. I I don't know. It's just like a it's a it's vibe cinema man like you just have to be on its wavelength um like some criticism i've seen thrown around is that like the cinematography is too like particular 
which feels like a Wes Anderson type complaint too. Like it's very like feels very staged or whatever. And I don't know. That's just like a dumb critique to me because film is such a visual medium, obviously that like, I don't care, (laughs) you know, construct every shot exactly how you want it. And it's going to look cool. Like, and it is such a cool looking movie. Um, I think the score is really underrated. It's, um, uh, it's very like, um, is it kind of like dark and drony sounding? Uh, well, it's like a mix of like medieval music with, uh, with kind of like ambient type stuff, ambient electronic type stuff. Um, but it's very atmospheric and, and, uh, it's a score I've listened to, um, outside of the movie, but it, it works great in the context of the movie too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just such a, such a good movie. Um, it was a movie that I saw in theaters back when it came out and it was at that point, my favorite movie of the year and it stayed really high on my list all year. It was my first movie that I watched of 2022 as well. Cause I watched the 4k, uh, after midnight, uh, on January 1st. Um, so I always, one of my traditions that I always try and watch something, uh, right after midnight, um, on the first of the year, uh, to kind of like tonally set the, to kind of like set the tone. Uh, so last year, my first movie of 2021 was pop star, never stop, never stopping, uh, which I don't know what tone that set. 2020 was such a miserable year that I wanted to watch something that I knew was really funny and enjoyable. It was not my first time seeing it. I just wanted to watch something that I knew I was going to have a good time with. So I thought like, oh, this is going to, this is going to set the tone for the year. It's going to be a good time. Things are going to get better. And, uh, they didn't really. So, uh, maybe a little bit, but like not a lot. Um, could be worse. Yeah. I mean, I could be dead. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) And so the green Knight. I don't know really what, what my line of thinking was when I picked that, but I think I just wanted something that I could kind of relax with. It's a good movie to relax with, um. Like, you know, obviously it still has its moments of tension and stuff like that, but it's much more about just kind of like a lot like Dune. It's just like you sit down, you just kind of let it all wash over you. And, um, um, and you know, we talked a little bit about Dev Patel last week when we were talking about, you know, James Bond. Um, Dev Patel is like, I think, you know, in the in that upper echelon of young leading actors that we have right now. And I think Dev Patel is going to win an Oscar someday. Like, like I, th- I think he's going to be in that kind of, you know, top tier leading man status soon, if not already. Um, and he, you know, he's very charismatic in this. This movie has a killer ending, which I've also seen it knocked for because it's super reminiscent of a, uh, I don't want to say which one because I don't want to spoil it, but like it's a, it's from a Scorsese movie that it's a very, it's very reminiscent of an ending from a Scorsese movie. And I love that ending in that movie too. Um, but I think it's like a really good callback reference to that, to that movie specifically. And it reminds me a lot of it in some ways. And, um, I think it works really well here. The ending again, like the last like 30 minutes of this movie 
Um, I won't spoil, this isn't spoilers, but it has like little to no dialogue and it's very much just about like the tone, the vibe, the visuals, the sounds, everything. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a movie that I can see if you're not, if you're not looking for that, I could see being put off by it. Like, um, when we recorded this last week, we talked about audience scores, like cinema scores. And uh, this movie had like a C plus, I think, which probably because not not as many people were going to the theater. So it's but it, it did kind of remind me after I saw it of like it comes at night or something like that, where I, I just assume people are going to fucking hate it when they walk out of it because they they're expecting, you know, a little more accessible version of fantasy filmmaking like, you know, Lord of the Rings or whatever. Uh, and what they're getting is Vibe Cinema 2021. Yeah, I, I like what I've seen of David Lowry's films. Yeah, I think I think David Lowry is a really interesting filmmaker. I haven't seen all of his movies. I haven't seen A Ghost Story. Um, actually, I, I guess I've only really seen Ain't Them Bodies Saints, but um, besides this. Yeah, I really liked Ain't Them Bodies Saints, and um, I thought The Old Man and the Gun was all right. Yeah, he's um he's a really interesting guy. Uh he's been a, a guest on Blank Check a couple of times, which is sort of my favorite movie podcast besides this one, of course. And um yeah, he's he's a great guest uh to have on that show. Uh, it's fun to listen to him kind of talk about movies and stuff from the perspective of someone that actually makes them. Um so yeah, that's kind of how I I, I guess that's most of my exposure to David Lowry is through that, just because I've only uh, I've only seen Anthem Body Saints, and that movie's like good. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I do want to see a Ghost Story. Um, do you want to do your impression of Casey Affleck as a ghost? Well, you know, uh, well, that's right. You gotta say boo. <laughs> uh, boo. <laughs> yeah uh casey affleck sounds like a piece of shit in real life but um uh that's a good impression anyway hey, fuck you <laughs> it's your it's your best impression so <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right all right what's your number two my number two is a movie we've already talked about quite a bit it is jane campion's the power of the dog i uh don't have really too much more to say about this one but um yeah it's just really good movie really good story great performances all around and yeah like you said i wish it was something that we could have seen on a big screen yeah i'm because the cinematography like it's shot in new zealand just because new zealand has a lot more of these sprawling landscapes that unfortunately don't exist as much in america but also because jane campion's from new zealand um yeah and it's a it's a really good stand-in for the you know sort of 1920s montana which is when the movie's set and uh yeah the 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 sprawling landscapes and stuff would be a, a treat to see on the big screen yeah definitely uh well my number two is actually the last 2021 movie that i saw um, I actually could have probably watched more movies since uh, we recorded this the other day uh, and actually updated this list if I wanted to, but I didn't feel like it. 
I wanted to stay true to the artistic integrity. So the last 2021 movie that I saw was my number two, which is Come On, Come On, uh, the Mike Mills movie. Um, And it really honestly kind of blew me away. Um, It was a movie that I expected to think was at least pretty good. I I knew it would probably be pretty good. Um, But I ended up really loving it. It's, It's very sincere. It's very nice. Um, but not in a way that feels phony or schmaltzy or fake. It, it, it all feels very earned when you watch the movie. Um, and I don't know if it's just, you know, sort of this place and time that we find ourselves in, you know, the state of the world being what it is and, um, just, you know, the last few years of my life or whatever, But this movie was, and I've read it described like this before, but just kind of like, almost like being hugged, cinematically hugged. Um, And it's just such a nice movie. It, It treats the kid actor, the kid character in that movie, like with so much dignity and respect. And that kid is just treated like any other character who, you know, obviously is a kid. So he has his kid moments, but like, they don't treat him as just this dumb plot device that, you know, moves the story along, but actually as an actual character worthy of, uh, exploration. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, I think it's my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance ever, which kind of surprised me, um, because he has obviously some standout performances over the years. Um, and it's also just so nice to see him do something that's this like warm and tender especially after like joker was i think the last thing that i saw him in and before joker it was like um uh what's the pedophile killing movie you were never really here um so it's like you know especially after like those couple performances it's just this total 180 of a stylistic performance from him and it's, he's in this realm, this area that, like, I feel like you don't see him in all that much anymore. Um, and he's so good in the movie. The kid is so good. Uh, the kid is British, which just blew me away watching it. Because, like, not only is he a convincing kid actor who's doing a great job, but he's also doing an American accent the entire time. Which just, like, to be young and doing that seems crazy to me. Um, I really loved Gabby Hoffman. Uh, who I only really knew as a child actor from like Sleepless in Seattle. Um, she's and Volcano and Vo- Volcano. That's right. And she was also in like Now and Then as well. Um, I only really knew her as a child actor. I know she's done some stuff, obviously, as an adult, but like that was my only real frame of reference with her. Um, and she's so great in this movie. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just such a nice movie that, I don't know, I found myself emotional while watching it, like, a lot of times, and at first, you know, I was, like, really enjoying it, and I was like, okay, I like this. I like this even more than I expected, but then by the end of it, I was like, wow, I really loved that movie, Um, and I've seen some critics, critics that I really respect, and writers that have kind of cynically written it off as like NPR podcast filmmaking or whatever. And, you know, that's 
of course, you know, anyone's perspective, POV is going to, you know, sort of cloud their view in the movie. But like, I don't know, I guess just for me at this moment, this moment in time, like it was just such a, a wonderful experience to be able to watch it and uh enjoy it and i i can't wait to watch it again yeah i'm i'd really like to see it and especially since i'm like kind of a new-ish parent i'm you know kind of curious how i'll feel about it coming from that perspective i definitely um i mean like despite joaquin being the the main character of the movie he's he's the uncle um it's a movie that is a lot about motherhood specifically um like abby hoffman's character is constantly rotating in and out of the movie um in different ways um but i mean that's not to say like a father wouldn't you know feel a lot of those same things too um it's a it's a really interesting like double feature if you were to do it with like the lost daughter which was my uh one of my honorable mentions um which is like a very unflinching and surprisingly real well, I don't know say realistic but it might be realistic but like like kind of cynical yeah a little cynical but just very like I, I guess unflinching like a very like unafraid to show the downside not downsides but like the negative aspects of uh parenting it's a it'd be an interesting double feature to pair with come on come on uh just because they're two kind of different but realistic approaches to parenting and motherhood specifically uh in movies uh and they're both really good um until you just said right now that joaquin plays the uncle i was completely under the impression that he played the dad in this movie that's just what i assumed from the trailer right yeah um, yeah, and, I, and maybe that's part of why it got me too, because I'm not, I'm not a father, but I am an uncle, and I'm probably never gonna be a father. Like if I'm just being realistic with myself, so I don't know. It was, yeah, yeah. It's a, I don't know. It was a movie that made me really emotional, but like in a good way, in a way that like makes you feel good while you're watching it. And also, it has my boy Scoot McNary in it, who is. Like, my favorite, as I've said multiple times, my favorite character actor working today. Yeah, Scoot's the man. Yeah, um, I mean, he's not in this movie all that much, but uh, he's good. He's always good. He's Scoot. What do you want from him? He's Scoot. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire, one of the best TV shows of the last uh, couple decades of prestige TV. Yeah, he's also good in Killing Them Softly. Yeah, really good. I think that was the first thing I ever saw him in, or at least the first thing where I was like, oh, who's this guy? Because he's like the star of that movie, despite Brad Pitt being the like poster boy. Um, yeah, Scoot rules. Yeah, he's right up there with a character actor like Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum is also a guy that I refer to as my boy, Shea Wiggum, just like Scoot. So yeah, it's they're, they're, the, they're I think the top two for me. But I also, I just love character actors in general. So Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggs. Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum rules. He rules in uh, Vice Principals as the uh, the stepdad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's into like BMX bikes and stuff. 
He needs to be in more stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine. I think honestly, like, not to go back to the James Bond conversation again. That was last week's episode, and we talked about it a lot. But like, imagine how much better the Bond villains would be if they cast like character actors instead of like best actor winners. I don't know. Like character actors, I feel like could do a lot more of the nitty gritty type stuff, whereas the best actor guys like Rami Malek just do these very generic showy performances that are like really bad. Um, but like, yeah, you get, you get Scoot McNary to be a bond villain. He's going to do some weird shit for you and it's going to fucking rule. Yeah. Shea Wiggum and Scoot could both be bond villains. Both of them. Get them both in there. Or maybe somebody like John Michael Higgins. Uh, perhaps the most controversial star of, our next movie to talk about which is our number one uh we have the same number one so let's let's just get into it yeah let's do it should we say it at the same time or yep it's the tomorrow war same joke i made last time uh (laughs) no it's licorice pizza that's our favorite movie of the year yes licorice pizza Mm -hmm. um and you know i i don't know i (laughs) I recorded this, we recorded this last time too. Uh, I do want to say that like, there's a couple things about licorice pizza. We already kind of talked about the age gap thing. When we were talking about red rocket. Um, I, there, I don't really know what, how to get into that. I think that ultimately it's a movie that's not really actually about anything and nothing really actually happens in it. Um, at least in terms of that stuff. Um, so I think it's weird when people, call it like grooming but i i don't know you know i'm i don't want to get into that too much uh yeah it's kind of a tricky thing to talk about because that is you know that is what this movie is about it is about an age gap relationship um and you know and i think it it presents that element it doesn't necessarily endorse it i think it's kind of uh, up to the viewer to kind of decide how they yeah. feel about it yeah i mean i can i can understand that it's a movie that it, it's a weird dynamic because she's older than he is um i don't know all i would say is that read paul thomas anderson and alana heim have talked about it like you can read interviews with them i it's not on us to answer for it um I, I like I understand that it's a weird dynamic. I think it's supposed to be a weird dynamic. Um and I also think that like the end of the movie is a bit of Gary's fantasy. That's like my particular read on the movie. Um and I also think that the movie also establishes a pattern of anytime Gary makes headway with anything, like it immediately fucks up in the very next scene. So I would just assume after the movie's over something gets fucked up and <laughs> and it's all over. Um, the other thing that I do think is worth talking about, and it's it's the only real like bummer on the movie for me, and like I think it's the it's the Japanese restaurant scene with John Michael Higgins. Um, I I think that I don't I don't think PTA's intent was to make the joke the fact that he's doing the voice or I don't think the joke is the voice so much as it's saying, Hey, look at this guy doing this super cringy voice. Like, can you believe that? 
I think that's the point. But what I will say is I don't think that intent necessarily matters because that's a scene that, you know, a lot of people have said makes them uncomfortable, especially seeing, you know, a lot of white people in the crowd laughing at it. I can understand why that would make someone feel uncomfortable. And I would never want to tell someone that they're wrong for the way they feel, the way something makes them feel. Um, So, like... I, I guess all I would say is that, like, I totally get it. It's it is a, it is kind of an uncomfortable scene. No, it's it's definitely an uncomfortable scene, and it's kind of a bummer to me. Uh, in what I think is otherwise a pretty, a pretty, you know, perfect movie. So that's all I would say is that, like, I understand it and I get it, and uh, it's also funny too that you could basically like edit that scene out of the movie those two scenes out of the movie and <laughs> not nothing would change about the movie plot wise or anything. So like, I don't know, maybe they'll do a cut one day on the internet where that's just completely gone. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I remember when we saw this for the first time, when we were like walking back to our car after the, the movie was over, we were kind of talking about, you know, the John Michael Higgins character and, his two scenes and how they were very, you know, they were kind of uncomfortable and he's, you know, was like an awkward character. But I remember also saying like, you know, I, that that character just seems so like authentic to me, or at least like I, I was positive that he had to at least be based on a real uh, person or like maybe a composite character of some kind just because he's just it's like such a specific character and uh yeah i'm sure like you said the intent was to kind of put you in that time in place when there were like real there were characters like that like people who were just kind of casually racist and you know white dudes who (laughs) you know probably appropriated japanese culture um but uh, also, like you said, sometimes intent doesn't matter. And I think that kind of, you know, it kind of comes back to the the Tropic Thunder of it all. Like, yeah, maybe the joke is on the characters and not really like what they're doing. But, you know, they're still, you know, they're still doing what they're doing. Like you still got you still got like Robert Danny Jr., in blackface like that kind of thing like even though the the joke might be on the characters you know they're still yeah, doing exactly. what they're doing and it's like i don't know like you can't really just do blackface and say you're making fun of doing blackface because you're still doing blackface you know you know it's it's that whole thing yeah regardless of the intent or if there are layers to it it still has the potential to offend someone you know, also, I think part of it, and we talked about this before, is the casting of John Michael Higgins as that character who, you know, we know primarily as a, you know, a comedy actor from, like, the Christopher Guest movies and things like that. So I think when you see him, you're kind of programmed to think that you're about to see, like, a pretty comedic scene, and maybe you're not exactly sure what element of that scene you should be laughing at um so i think that's maybe why like the times that i've seen this movie 
there was kind of like a nervous laughter during that you know his scenes because uh, maybe people weren't sure what was necessarily supposed to be funny about that scene or if anything was supposed to be funny um and you know i said to you maybe like a an actor should have played that character who is not known for being a comedy actor like maybe right. maybe sean penn could have played that part right <laughs> yeah i think uh that would be convincing to me if Sean Penn did say something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the other interesting thing about that character is that, like, that was a real guy who actually owned the Mikado restaurant and had two different Japanese wives. Um, so, like, it's so specific that, like, like a lot of stuff in this movie, like, it's so specific that you feel like, oh, this is probably how it, he actually was. Um and uh, again like i don't think any of that really like matters all that much like yeah i get why it's why it's in the movie and i get i think what pta was going for with those scenes but i also just think that like you know if someone's uncomfortable by, by it especially given the sort of cultural landscape of the last year in which you know asian people were um, singled out and targeted at a higher rate um, due to you know lots of different reasons um, then I I can't argue with it I, I would never I would never say like oh you're crazy that's not that's not racist I mean like if you think it's racist you know I I don't know like I get it it it, it is racist like it it is maybe not intended to be racist but it's it's the classic thing where intent doesn't really matter uh if it affects the way someone feels so yeah i mean you can't tell someone that they don't feel the way that they feel or tell them that they shouldn't be offended by that scene like that's just not how it how it works yeah and i've i've read enough reviews from you know uh people who were really uncomfortable by that scene and you know they still liked the movie but the fact that they were in a theater full of white people laughing at that made them super uncomfortable and angry and you know justifiably so so i i get it and i think you can i think you can love this movie and and understand that that scene is kind of shitty in a way um i don't think the two are mutually exclusive i'm not trying to like make an excuse for the movie or, or anything like that. Like, I think it's a great movie. It's just that scene in particular uh, rubs me the wrong way, uh, especially having read enough of those, you know, accounts and reviews from people that, you know, are more directly affected by something like that. Right. Our perspective is two white guys um, would never, would never fully allow us to uh, appreciate the way that scene could be felt by someone who you know is asian or maybe even someone who's black or hispanic or you know anything like it's just our perspective is always going to be inherently limited so to that i would defer to anyone else and um happily support them in that um and again it's just unfortunate because it is i think pretty much a perfect movie otherwise like i mean obviously it's it's our number one movie of the year i gave it five stars like i love this movie um 
otherwise. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think this is a, a pretty perfect movie. Um, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson movies just always make so much emotional sense to me. That's true of this movie. That's true of Punch Drunk Love. Um, they just, uh, I, I just, I think I connect with them uh, the way I think you're supposed to connect with them. Um, and this movie is just so, uh, so heartfelt and just manages to uh, take you to that time and place so perfectly. And I don't just mean like the valley in the 70s. I mean, it does that very well and so specifically, like we've said, but it also takes you, I think, to that very specific uh, emotional place that I associate with my youth. Um, like, I was watching this movie, and it made me f- uh, remember the way that I felt when I was, like, 15 going on 16, like, the summer of, uh, like, 2003 or something like that. It reminded me of very, like, specific moments from when I was younger, and... um not only does it achieve those things, but it also just tells this, like, really beautiful story about these two characters that, you know, one one of them is, you know, wants to be an adult, basically, and one wants to kind of recapture their youth, and they sort of, like, meet in the middle, sort of. Yeah, it's about a character that wants to be older, and then another character that kind of wishes they were younger. So it's about two characters kind of being pulled in. Well, yeah, to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. I've just always appreciated how with his movies, he never passes passes judgment on his characters the way that I think like maybe other filmmakers would. Um, Yeah. I don't know. This is a, this is a pretty great movie. I, I don't know where I would rank it with PTA's other films, but it's a, probably pretty high i'd think uh yeah yeah definitely i don't i haven't fully settled on where i would rank it um in my paul thomas anderson list um but i mean there's a lot of universal truths in this movie like a lot of feelings of regret and youth and lost youth and sort of like first loves i i I mean it's got a lot of stuff that i think is gonna hit for a lot of people um and even even if you're not like like we weren't we weren't at all close to the film industry even though we lived not that far from it as kids but like uh, the stuff in this movie that really kind of lands is the is the just the basic emotions of it all yeah and the two leads are just terrific, and they do a great job playing these very, like, rich, complex characters. Yeah, well, and I think, too, I mean, not to not to tie it, too again, too much into the sort of the zeitgeist or whatever, but, like, like, Alana Haim's character is the best character in the movie for me, like, and she's the best performance. She's one of the best performances I've seen in a movie in a long time. Um maybe going back to like Sandler and uncut gems, which is the last performance that I really like, you know, bang the table for. Um, 
but like her character is at this moment where her life doesn't look the way she kind of expected it to or thought it might play out and i think that especially of the last two years uh, three years maybe even for me like just like the way my life has kind of played out and the way so many other people's lives have you know changed the way they look after two years of a global pandemic of not being able to do so many different things uh you know uh, unless you unless you're like a weird a weird guy who who's like uh an anti-masker or whatever but like um like i don't know yeah a lot of that a lot of that was just really resonant for me watching this movie and it was another movie where i found myself getting emotional and i think like (laughs) it'll be easy for some people to take the wrong stuff away from this movie like with the age stuff especially like some some weird guy is going to be like all right i can hook up with a 15 year old or whatever but that's not i definitely don't think that's anything at all what the movie's saying um and uh and i don't think that's that's anything to take away like the romance stuff is i think much more about like like the feelings it evokes rather than the specific romance. And it's just about those kind of like those burning emotions that you feel when you are in that like age range. Yeah. And I mean, it's also entirely possible that it doesn't really work out for these two characters after the movie ends. Yeah. And like I said, I think, (laughs) I think the movie establishes a pretty clear pattern with like Gary's like antics and stuff that like, I'm a hundred percent sure that he fucks up something like immediately after that scene at the end and i don't i I won't spoil anything in the ending but like like (laughs) i think that the movie is pretty intentional in showing you that i don't think anything like nefarious is is going to happen or is happening there um you know i read some interviews with pta and alana heim about it and you know they they talked about how they were very careful to make sure that like the movie treats it with kid gloves you know like there's no like <laughs> i mean it's a movie where like the, the the biggest thing that happens is a kiss and like that's it and 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 that's not to say that you can just go ki- kiss anyone you want like obviously can't but like i don't know i think the movie's very careful with that stuff and i think a lot of that conversation that people are having about it is maybe from people who haven't seen the movie or who are specifically trying to read too much into it yeah because i think this is a very sweet movie and you know like i said before just a very heartfelt coming of age story and um i i think i said this to you before that i don't I I think this is the kind of coming of age movie that you can appreciate best as a uh, as an older person. Like I don't know if I saw this when I was younger, like you know, when I was in high school or something if I would have uh if I would have had the same uh if it would have resonated the same way for me. Yeah, well, cuz I think I think like I said the the emotional resonance and stuff comes from the Alana Heim character. I mean, maybe it's just my perspective. Maybe a younger person would 
see more of themselves in Gary Valentine, which yeah, probably, but also Gary is like not not a shitty person, but he's like he's the clear aggressor in the relationship with Alana Haim. Like he's the he's the driving force that like forces all their like interactions and stuff. Um so yeah, like for me the Alana Haim character was a lot more relevant. Um and obviously I'm closer in age to that character closer to that point in life so yeah um definitely is a movie that i would appreciate now more than if it came out like 15 years ago or something yeah and one other thing that i think that this movie really nails is that that feeling or that moment when you realize that being uh, when you're you're growing up and you realize that being an adult isn't like as cool or as desirable as you thought it would be and also this movie really nails that that moment where you realize that certain adults, you know, are kind of full of shit and maybe they don't have it all figured out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, again, that's like the Alana Haim journey in this movie is like, you see her interact with different characters like Joel walks, the, the councilman and stuff like that. And not that the movie's not saying Joel walks is full of shit, but it is just like, Oh, this guy is not perfect and he has not warts because i don't i I don't want to make it sound like his thing is a bad thing um again not spoiling trying not to spoil but um but it does tell you that like he hasn't figured it all out either he hasn't figured out how to make sense of everything and it's a movie that like kind of reminds you of the fact that it's rare to like have everything figured out and to like feel like you've nailed it um it's a movie that just kind of like i don't know it's comforting in that way to see that presented on screen and like to to feel like you're not crazy you're not bad or you're not wrong if you haven't you know perfectly figured out your life and figured out how to be this you know adult that does everything they're supposed to do yeah great great movie great movie um yeah yeah and also incredible john c Riley cameo <laughs> yeah he's in it <laughs> it's I, I read a review from uh demi ajoebe on letterboxd uh who called that cameo uh hilarious in its near uselessness because it's not a character that needs to be in that movie and it's so like in the background the only thing i think that really like points out that it's john c Riley is his voice like he his voice is so identifiable that i'm like oh right there he is because i i had heard that he had a cameo that was like very like very much blink or you'll miss it um so i guess if you're watching or listening to this and you haven't watched it yet um uh, just listen for his voice, and you'll hear him, and it's very funny. Yeah, that's a good cameo. Um, so, shall we move on to the awards portion of the show? What a year it was. What a year it was. <laughs> what a year it was. That's all it is. Oh, we should have gotten Dennis to record that for part two. That would have been good. Oh, well. What a year it was. I can't sing at all. All right, what uh, what award do you want to start with? Um, should we start with 
screenplay? Sure. Uh, I mean, traditionally, screenplay uh, in the Academy Awards is kind of like a consolation prize award. So uh, I guess since, you know, we know what our best pictures are, uh, my my screenplay award's going to go to Mike Mills, which is a very good screenplay, very good script, um, but also kind of knows when to keep it simple in a way that I found really uh, good. Um, there's mom- There's a lot of, like, moments in the movie where real kids are being interviewed um, because Joaquin's like a, a like a podcast documentary podcast guy um, so real kids are being interviewed so it's just it's just a real interview with those kids and that, done by Joaquin um, and then also like moments where Joaquin's reading like just a passage from a book or a poem or something like that and um, I don't know I it's almost like Mike Mills knows that he wasn't smart enough to, to like write something better than that stuff. So he keeps his script very simple and, you know, speaks when it calls for it. Otherwise just listens. Um, I don't know. I really like the script. I love that movie. I love that movie so much. Uh, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. I gotta see it soon. It's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a movie I'm going to pick up when it comes out on like Blu-ray or 4k or whatever. Probably won't come out on 4k studios. (sighs) It's the same thing as French Dispatch. They just they don't want to put out like non-action movies on the format because they they think that like nobody cares and may, largely they're probably correct. But like, I want the movie in 4K. The cinematography in that movie looks great. I love like the kind of like uh, dark black and white cinematography in that. So I would love to see it, but oh well. Um, for me, I'm going to give uh, Best Screenplay to Licorice Pizza because, as we just said, I think that movie's flawless and I think it just tells such a such a great thematic story that's just weaved in so carefully throughout all these different episodes. Um, yeah, I, that's, for me, definitely the best, best screenplay. Um, if I had to give... Uh, maybe an award for adapted screenplay i would go i would give it to the power of the dog i i think that's a um another like really good script so yeah those two for me okay um let's see uh cinematography uh for cinematography i'll go with uh robert yeoman for uh the french dispatch bob yeoman okay uh, mine's going to be Andrew Draws Palermo for The Green Knight. Nice. Uh, I guess on that note, score? Best score? Uh, for score, I'm going to go with Johnny Greenwood, uh, The Power of the Dog. He also did, uh, that score's really good. Um, he also did some good stuff for Licorice Pizza too, but Licorice Pizza has a lot more like pop songs and stuff than score work, so... Uh, my score is also the Green Knight. It is Daniel Hart, uh, for that soundtrack. Um, and mostly, I mean, I could have gone with Johnny Greenwood. I could have gone with, uh, Hans Zimmer for Dune too. Um, but I mostly wanted to just shout out the Green Knight soundtrack just because I feel like it's not really getting any kind of awards attention right now. 
um, even though I think it's a really great score. So I just wanted to give it something. Let's let's get director out of the way because I don't think that's another one that's going to be uh, much of a surprise. No, probably not. The director of the Tomorrow War, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whoever that is, <laughs> Joe Carnahan for boss level. <laughs> well, director is PTA for me, obviously. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, mine's PTA. Um, I guess if I were gonna do a uh, honorable mention I would maybe give it to Denny Villeneuve for Dune uh, just because I think the way that movie is crafted is like pretty masterfully done Um, alright let's get into these acting ones which is kind of the, the most interesting section of awards uh, which one do you want to start with? Supporting actor? Yeah, let's do supporting actor. Uh, well, I'll go first. Um, my best supporting actor uh, is Ben Affleck for The Last Duel, um, who is having a ton of fun with it, and it's very fun performance, and it's cool to see him kind of uh, subvert his persona a bit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I love that performance. Um, my... Uh, runner-up or honorable mention for that would be Bradley Cooper and Licorice Pizza, which is also a very funny and fun uh, performance that really, like, changes the dynamic of that movie when he's in it. All right, so who is your best supporting actor? So uh, my best supporting actor is uh, Vincent Linden for Titan. Um, I had a, a couple of top contenders, but I decided to go with him ultimately. Um, he, like I said before, like uh, that movie does quite a bit of genre hopping throughout its runtime. And I think he really gives it uh, a good amount of dramatic weight when it finally gets to its more dramatic section. And, uh, you know, like we said before, this is a movie that includes a character who has a, you know, has sex with a car. Um, and I think when you get to uh, his scenes, they're so, uh, you know, they're so powerful. You forget that <laughs> that you're watching a movie where a character has had sex with a car. Like, you completely buy him 100%. Like, I think I, I told you this before off mic that he plays like this sad buff firefighter uh character um who's got you know some emotional baggage but um yeah he's he's really terrific in that movie um not a movie not a movie about the uh chris parnell mercury mistress snl commercial (laughs) yeah that's a different uh (laughs) a different thing where a character has sex with a car um um, uh, that's a sketch that is I've remembered since I was like ten years old. <laughs> uh, I think the only reason I remember it is because of you and conversations that we had in like high school <laughs> talking about it, and then I found it on the internet uh, and then watched it. I I think I kind of thought it was a little more well regarded as like kind of a classic. No. <laughs> Nobody uh, talks about that sketch. Ever. Kind of a classic SNL 
commercial parody, but yeah, nobody remembers it except you and I. Yeah, it's no uh, like "Oops, I crap my pants" or any of those ones that like no. people actually reference. Yeah, no, but it's a great one, Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell, uh, the king, the king indeed. <laughs> one of your favorite characters from uh, Jingle All the Way, right? Only the hottest selling Christmas toy ever. The uh, yeah, all one right. day we'll get to talk about Jingle All the Way and great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we could have made it happen this Christmas, but uh, we didn't. Yeah, uh, we didn't choose to do that. But eventually, yeah. Um, um, uh, what about, should I uh, supporting actress? Should I mention my runners-up, or are we going to oh, do it yeah, that way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just had a couple of top contenders. Uh, I had uh, Cody Smith-McPhee on there as a, you know, a, a top contender for The Power of the Dog. Um, I think he's really great in that movie. I mean, I haven't really seen anything with him since The Road back in the day, but I thought he was great in this, and he's got a... His character is just a really good character in that movie. So, um, yeah, so I got him on there as a contender. And also uh, David Nell from from Pig, um, who who's only in that movie for one scene. But as I have said before, that I think is a, a pretty great scene. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, supporting actress. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog. Because uh, I think she's got some really solid season, solid scenes in there where she goes up against uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I think we we talked about a few of them, like the the uh, like the piano scene, and you know the the scene where she sells the hides. I won't. I'll keep it vague like that in case you know anybody's listening to this who hasn't seen it. But uh, yeah, she's got some really great great scenes. Um, and I should probably mention uh, a very close second um, who I almost forgot about when I drafted this list the first time is uh, uh, Toko Miura from uh, Drive My Car. I want to give her a shout out because um, she's got a really uh, a really great character in that movie. She's basically, you know, more or less silent for the first like two hours of that movie um she's the the driver if you couldn't guess that movie involves a a driver of a car um and i'd say the she's more or less the emotional core of the third act um but uh yeah she's really great so she's a very close second for that category for me uh, my best uh, supporting actress uh, winner is Catherine Hunter from The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, mm-hmm. She plays the witches in that and gives such a crazy and interesting uh, physical performance. Um, she's not in the movie like all that much, um, but she really like kind of commands the screen when she's on it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess Catherine Hunter is a largely uh, London-based theater actor. Um, uh, I think she's in, like, one of the Harry Potter movies, but that's probably just because she's, like, some sort of London theater legend. But um, 
it's such a wild performance and uh uh she's really great it it like reminds me a bit of like Gollum, um but like not in a cheesy way i don't i mean that could yeah that could be construed as cheesy but it, it really uh it really adds a lot of like i don't know oomph to that movie when she's on screen mm-hmm. um my runners up were mia waskowska from bergman island who sort of is in mostly just the second half of the movie um she's really great in that and then um Gabby Hoffman from Come On, Come On, uh, who's also really great in that movie. Nice. Yeah. I have um, to see all, all three of those movies. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, it's time for our two biggest acting categories. It's Best Actor mm-hmm. and Best Actress. Uh, which one would you like to do first? Um, let's, uh, let's go with... I guess since we did actor first, we could for supporting we can go with actor first for primary actor yeah um so i yeah this is another one i kind of went back and forth on but i think i'm gonna land on uh hitotomi nishijima for drive my car so i'm bringing that up again for acting um he's uh just really terrific it's one of the kind of like nick cage and pig just a very quiet performance and manages to kind of uh convey a great deal just with very subtle reactions and sort of like knowing glances um yeah hopefully he gets recognized you know by some probably not the oscars but you know hopefully he gets recognition for this movie um uh and then for contenders for best actor i got uh nick cage which is kind of kind of similar in that it uh you know it explores the nature of loss um in a very quiet way but uh yeah those are my two for uh for best actor oh and and benedict cumberbatch is also great in the power of the dog. So those are my, my three best actor, uh, contenders. Uh, for, for my best actor winner, um, I'm going to give it to Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Mm -hmm. which I alluded to. Well, I not alluded to, I, I said, (laughs) uh, is my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance ever. Um, which may sound strange because he's given a lot of like memorable and uh very like i don't want to say showy but like bravura type performances and yeah. and this one's a lot smaller and more measured but um yeah i don't know he just um it's a version of him that i feel like i have never really seen before and uh he really nails it um it's yeah i don't know that my my praise for that movie is basically endless um uh as for runners up my i only had one honorable mention here i mean obviously there were a lot of really good performances Mm -hmm. but uh just the one i wanted to shout out besides joaquin was nick cage and pig um just because 
I mean, we both we both gave him an honorable mention, and I feel like he's just not going to get any kind of like Academy or a, you know <laughs> other award. Yeah, you know, hype. Maybe maybe like the Independent Spirit Awards would give him a nomination or something. Uh-huh. Um, I could see that. But uh, I doubt he gets anything from the Oscars. I mean, it'd be cool if he did, but that seems it un- would. Unlikely. I mean, it's not like you know. It's obviously he's a best best actor winner at one point, you know, in his career. But mm-hmm. it, it just seems like the kind of movie that they're not really gonna mess around with. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe. It, I mean, it it isn't like. Like, if it was more of the John Wick style, like, you know, I kind of thought it was going into it, maybe they wouldn't. Well, no, they definitely wouldn't at that point. (laughs) But since it is a smaller, like, more quiet movie than that, maybe they will. I, I, I just, I haven't heard any steam on him specifically or anything with that movie in terms of the Oscars. So Yeah, probably not. It doesn't seem like it. I, you know, what would have been interesting, we could have checked, but maybe, maybe we can in a upcoming episode before the Oscar stuff is like check the Oscar betting stuff. Cause oh, the Vegas, yeah. The Vegas odds are always kind of interesting just to see <laughs> uh, who they have like taking all the, the awards and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think Best Actress is going to be different for us. Uh, yeah i i think we've talked about this and it's for mm-hmm. sure gonna be the same so i think there are honorable mentions are a little more interesting just because there's a little more ver- uh, variety there yeah um but uh yeah my best actress winner is my favorite performance in uh, uh several years probably uh mm-hmm. from yep. licorice pizza yep that's uh that's my winner as well uh she's so good in that movie in a way that just completely floored me because she's not an actor. Um, like, I mean, obviously she can act and she is an actor mm-hmm. now, but, uh, I mean, that wasn't, that <laughs> wasn't who she was. She's in the band Heim. Like, uh, when, when I heard that she was in PTA's movie, it was like not skepticism, but just kind of like, well, all right, you know what you're doing. <laughs> and yeah. he does. Uh, yeah i mean he does know what he's doing he's never let us down with well i mean for me he's never disappointed with uh, an unusual casting choice i think uh punch drunk love is probably the ultimate for for that yeah but i think he was like vindicated by that yeah sandler's given a couple of other like good dramatic (laughs) performances (laughs) since like I think like uncut gems wouldn't exist without no. punch drunk love. Like definitely not. He had to he had to you know walk before he could fly or whatever. Yeah, whatever the saying might be. But like uh, you know, I mean, I I think that uh, Sandler's great in Punch Drunk Love, which is a 2002 movie. That's one we'll be eventually talking about. It's I've had like up. multiple people try and claim that episode, and I'm just like. That's a long time away. We'll see. Yeah. Also, that's, uh, that's going to be a huge episode for us. Yeah, because that's more or less like, I mean, it's definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. But on depending on my mood, sometimes it's my favorite movie of all time. That's a that's a special movie for me. So um, I can't wait to talk about it for two hours. But uh, uh, so yeah, Lonaheim's your 
you're one time is my choice yeah um yeah because that's a pretty like difficult character i think to play like a character who's sometimes like super reckless and also super like sometimes she's also like kind of mature like it's a it's a weird uh it's a difficult part to play Mm -hmm. someone who's constantly straddling the lines of of adulthood and childhood or whatever right like emerging Um, adulthood yeah uh and also it's just super funny like i mean she's so and she's funny yeah yeah um and i mean obviously enough people have ranted about this before but like like let's start recognizing funny performances because it is as hard if not more difficult sometimes Mm. to be funny and then the the beauty of that performance is that she is funny and handles all the pathos and stuff Mm -hmm. well as well so yeah um who do you have for your like honorable mentions your your runners up um i've got uh uh tilda swinton for memoria who i think you know she's pretty much always good i think uh, in that movie i think she's a a pretty good fit um uh that's a movie i danced danced around the the plot a lot because i didn't want to give too much away but uh yeah very interesting mysterious performance and a very <laughs> mysterious movie um and then uh probably this this is probably closer to my like she was closer maybe to being like my winner um agatha roussel uh from Titan. uh She's another actress. This is her first performance. And, uh, yeah, very physical performance. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she's great in that movie. And she has to... This is another one where I don't want to give too much away about the, the plot. But, you know, she has to kind of pretend to... See, pretend to be someone else during the course of the film and it uh and she's convincing as that character in the film as well as the character she's primarily playing in the film um i know you're if you haven't seen her, you're like well what the fuck are you talking about but uh <laughs> she's really great in that movie cool yeah that's one i've got to check out i mean i yeah. <laughs> i saw that trailer uh, a long time ago and basically decided oh yeah i, I really want to see that whenever it comes out and then it came out and was never really playing all that close to me um and i don't, I don't really venture all that far for movies these days mm-hmm. um and uh and then it, then it came to streaming and i just kind of fell behind and haven't gotten around to it um my runners up for best actress are olivia coleman uh in the lost daughter mm-hmm. uh, i think it rules that olivia coleman is like one of our more reliable and um solid uh leading actresses right now because she is like a 40 i think eight year old 
former comedy actor. Um, I don't know. Like it just, it, she's made that like sort of transition so seamlessly and she's so good, um, in that movie too. Uh, it's just really cool to me that, uh, she's like in, you know, like starring in movies and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. when I knew her from like peep show and, uh, like in hot fuzz and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, she's an Oscar winner now. She is, she is, and she's amazing in the favorite. Also, mm-hmm. uh, I think this performance might actually be better. Um, it's it's just a much more different performance. Uh, but yeah, I I I could see her getting nominated. I'm sure she will, or at least I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, my other uh, runner up is uh, Jodie Comer from The Last Duel, um, who is so great in that movie, um, and her. Her segment of that film, her perspective, as I uh, repeated many times in the Mm -hmm. first episode, uh, is my favorite of the three, although they all have their, um, you know, sort of interesting things about them. Um, But yeah, she's, in my opinion, she's the reason that movie works as well as it does. Uh, And she's another one I haven't really heard any kind of like Oscar steam for her or anything like that i don't know maybe um i did have the golden globe winners pulled up so let me see if oh yeah i'm i'm not sure who won the golden globe for uh yeah. supporting actress uh yeah so she she wasn't nominated for best um best actress in a motion picture drama so it would seem likely that she probably won't get an Academy Award nominee either. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know, some of the other performances. It was a great, it was a really great year for, um, I would say, uh, women in movies, uh, especially because there were a lot of great female performances. Um, Olivia Coleman did get a Golden Globe nomination, so that's cool. Uh, nice. But, like, the winner was Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos, which. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, Okay, that's a choice. Uh, and then, like, some of the other performances are a little more, like, obvious choices, mm-hmm. like Jessica Chastain in Eyes of Tammy Faye, which, like, she's good in that movie. Like, I yeah don't disagree, but it's also just kind of, like, a classic Oscar-y type performance, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Kristen Stewart in Spencer, which is not a movie I've seen, but, like, again, that, that like, makes sense as an Oscar-type performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lady Gaga was also nominated for House of Gucci, and and she's actually, you know, she's pretty good in that movie, um, Mm -hmm. but the whole movie is just kind of campy that I don't know that I would really award it anything. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) at least not Uh, Jared Leto. Imagine if Jared Leto was, (laughs) you haven't seen it. I I haven't seen it. I mean, I've seen clips. I've seen enough clips to know what he's doing, I think. That Jared Leto performance is yeah. something else. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think sucks. we're. What a, what a <laughs> loser that guy. I think is. we're probably going to be talking about him a little bit later when we get to our big award, right? That's right. Yeah. We yeah. do have one more award um, yeah. before we move on to our uh, our bottom, bottom five or bottom 10. And then we do our uh, listener and guest list. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so there is one award left 
to give. Yeah, and this is our uh, biggest award, right? This is this is the uh, this is the 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 end of the show special. Although mm-hmm. um, we're not ending the show, should we wait until after we do the rest of the stuff? Um, to do it? Should we should we end the show? It's up like, to you. I mean, we could do it now since we just did all the other awards, or we could do it at the very end. Or should we at least tease what it is? I mean, I. I think the more we tease it, like the more underwhelming it's gonna be. <laughs> so we should just do it now. I think. Yeah, let's do probably. it now. Okay. So this was an award that uh, I came up with the other day, um, before we recorded, and it it kind of ties everything back into our show a little bit. But what do you think? What, what would your winner? For the most 2002 movie of 2021, be yeah. Um, well, I I wasn't sure at first, uh, like what I thought was the most 2002 movie of 2021, um, and I I think you eventually had to tell me what yours was, and then I thought about it, and I was like, oh yeah, of course that's the most. Yeah, you know. I I knew once I actually told you what it was that you would be like, oh, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, oh, that's I it. I think I like uh, I asked you to give me hints what yours was, and I was like, oh, did I see it? And you were like, yeah. So I looked at my list, and there was only one one possible contender, which is this movie. Yeah, and and it's you even asked to like if it was a movie we'd already talked about. Yeah. And it was a movie that we had have not talked about uh, to this point because it's not good. Um, no. Uh, and that is our winner, the 2002 mm-hmm. goes to The Little Things. The Little Things. Yep. The John Lee Hancock uh, <laughs> throwback thriller, a movie that was conceived in, like, the 90s, which is why yeah. it feels like that. Right. Um um, yeah, starring uh, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and uh, Jared Leto, of course. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I totally get why uh, why you thought of it. And I get it, you know, because it's very much like, uh, it's a serial killer thriller. Like, uh, what else do we got this year? We got, um, for 2002, that is, we got like Murder by Numbers, um, <laughs> High Crimes, which is kind of in the same vein. Uh, like all the, all those like Ashley Judd style serial killer thrillers, um, yeah. So it makes perfect sense that this would, that you know, this would have come out back then if anybody had thought of it. Yeah, I think like maybe save for some of the stylistic decisions, which are a yeah. little more in line with a twenty 2020, twenty 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 one movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if this if this came out in two thousand two, we wouldn't bat an eye, especially because I think it's like set in the nineties, right? Yeah, I think it takes Wasn't place it? in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so like, it, it even doesn't have like smartphones or anything like that. Right. Like, so, if this movie had come out in two thousand two, like, yeah, I wouldn't bat an eye. <laughs> and if we if this movie had come out in like January two thousand two, it'd be probably like one of the best movies we've talked about so far <laughs> yeah uh, but um, it wasn't uh, no it wasn't one of the best movies 2021 that's for sure yeah yeah it, it 
I think the first thing it reminded me of was maybe like uh, I kind of thought of it as like a mediocre season of True Detective. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty accurate. Uh, wouldn't even shock me if that's basically what uh, kind of re uh, restarted that project because I think like John Lee Hancock wrote it a long time ago, mm-hmm. like in '94 or something like that. Yeah, and had tried to make it and it never got made so it wouldn't surprise me if maybe like the prestige tv stuff uh like true detective kind of kind of got interest in it rolling again i don't know what a dumb movie that is though (laughs) but also like dumb in a way i sort of respect yeah i mean we we've said it a bunch of times but i wish they would make a ton of movies like that it's just i don't think they're good but i would still see them right yeah i'm very happy that the little things exists but i also think it's a shitty movie yeah exactly yeah (laughs) i wish i could convey that in a way that makes sense to someone in you know or to people (laughs) uh but that's that's as as simple as i could uh describe it myself and uh, yeah that's yeah um all right um should we do our bottom i, I think you did your bottom five because you didn't have a super robust list and i did yeah. bottom 10 um do you want to do those yeah let's, now before, uh, we, before we share our uh, listener guest lists yeah let's do our bottom uh, our bottom lists. I've only got five movies that I felt really uh, strongly about in a negative way. Um, actually, I've only got three that I like really strongly disliked, but you know, the other two are pretty bad also. Um, so for number five, I've got uh, Zack Snyder's The Justice League, um, which, like I've said before, or I've told you before, is a movie I had to watch in five sittings or maybe even more. Um, and I did not enjoy it. Um, I suppose it could have been worse, but I did not have a good time with it. Um, and then my number four is the little things our our big winner of the night. The, uh, the 2002, uh, uh, big big winner and then uh my number three this is where it i think it it gets like really bad like movies that i would award like one star out of five um uh boss level which was uh, <laughs> one of your original uh thoughts for oh right 2002 movie that was like a yeah up for that color and i i would agree that would, that would be like a runner-up <laughs> Or like a nominee, if if we did nominees, yeah, just because I think there's a time where Boss Level would have been released in theaters, and it probably would have done okay, not great, but maybe okay, and that would have been like in the the mid to late two thousands. Um, then my number two is uh, Mortal Kombat, which uh, I had a terrible time with. <laughs> and uh it's just so funny to me that the the uh the new character that they add to the mortal Kombat series because it's all old characters except for this one new guy Mm -hmm. and his like 
power, his superpower or whatever, is he gets like a metal sweater. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's dumb. right. <laughs> yeah, I actually remember not a whole lot of this movie because I just, I think I, I uh, blocked. Well, it's not a memorable movie at all. <laughs> no, I think I maybe fell asleep with my eyes open. Um, but yeah, not a good movie. Uh, it's my number two. And my number one is Home Sweet Home Alone. Yeah, a real piece of dog shit, that movie. That's 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 going to be on the decade bottom ten, I think, eventually, whenever we get there uh, in yeah. eight years. Um, yeah, this year I just didn't have the time, I guess, to watch a lot of terrible movies. Well, um, yeah, I mean, because the, the problem with, like, bad movies on streaming is that you have infinite options basically like Mm -hmm. like why would i like the only reason i watched home sweet home alone is because travis picked it for our movie night thing i never would have watched it otherwise um whereas like going to the theater it's still an experience and there's movies that like i'll try in a theater especially since i have the amc pass um that you know at home even in the comfort of my own home on my bed or on my couch or whatever, I wouldn't try just because I could watch any fucking movie I want. (laughs) So why would I watch, you know, that piece of shit? So it may sound like counterintuitive, but I'm actually more likely to see bad movies when I'm going to the theater regularly versus streaming at home because I'm just not going to watch them. Uh, My bottom 10 uh i'll do 10 just because mm-hmm. there's a couple other ones movies that i don't think are good uh that i would like to shout out as being bad um last night in soho is my number 10 that mm-hmm. great movie um not good and a movie that i kind of dislike more and more uh the more i think about it um just not really a story that Edgar Wright of all people should have been telling and also just uh not a lot there. Yeah. Um number 9 for me is I care a lot, the Netflix movie starring Rosamund Pike. Uh it's like a S- Steven Soderbergh ripoff. It's very very obvious Soderbergh ripoff. Like that uh, the whole time I was watching it I was like, "Oh, this is this is corny." Um Number eight is M. Night Shyamalan's Old, mm-hmm. uh, which, like, don't get me wrong, I've had worse times at a movie, It's, but it is pretty bad, I think. Um, yep. Number seven for me is Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, which uh, it's kind of surprising to me that I have, like, a four-hour, uh, what, like... Isn't that movie, wasn't that movie, like, almost entirely, oh, no, they had two different versions. One was in black and white, one was in, like, a very muted color palette, the classic Zack Snyder, like, decontrasted <laughs> look. Um, you know, I cannot remember which version I watched, if it was in color or... I watched the color version. I think I did also, yeah, I did watch the color one. Yeah. I just uh, yeah. don't remember that much about that movie. <laughs> Even though I well, watched it. I mean, they're throwing four hours of shit against <laughs> against the wall and seeing mm-hmm. what sticks. I don't know. The fact that there's people out there that like claim Zack Snyder is some sort of like genius blows my mind. 
Um, number six for me is The Little Things, the big 2002-y winner. Mm-hmm. Um, number five, the bottom five, I would say, like your list, this is where things kind of like take another yeah, another level down. Get into quality. like one star territory yeah, or these are, close these to are it. The, re- the real pieces of dog shit. Um, mm-hmm. from last year in, in my opinion uh five snake eyes the gi joe movie um mm-hmm. uh i'm I, uh, <laughs> I don't i don't think i have to justify that pick you'll never see that movie uh no nor should you uh, i mean i'll watch the good snake eyes <laughs> yeah 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 the uh the, the palma snake eyes yes mm-hmm. nick cage um, no it's a bummer to me that like this is the kind of shit Henry Golding's doing. This and like the really bad, um, uh, the really bad Guy Ritchie movie, The Gentleman. Not I'm I'm not that I'm like a huge Henry Golding fan, but like he's a good looking dude and he's Asian. Like give him some good roles. Like I don't know Hollywood just I don't know I don't know. It, it's just strange to me that this is the kind of bullshit that they're uh, they're they're throwing at him. Um, number four, uh, Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. terrible movie. Um, so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the 95, had... the 95 Mortal Kombat was <laughs> significantly oh, better. That's way more fun. And not even because we grew up with it. Um, I, I, I had kind of high hopes for this one. Not like really, but like I had hoped that it would just be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just remember being pretty bored um the they only do the theme song like one time too which yeah. is such a mistake disappointing um, uh number three for me is boss level <laughs> uh actually like four of my bottom five movies are movies i only saw because of travis <laughs> i saw two two movies in theaters with travis because we both have the amc pass and uh he asked me if i wanted to go and i was like yeah all right whatever and uh and then boss level and home sweet home alone we watched uh on our movie night at home specifically because he picked them on his yeah to pick <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. So boss level number three. Uh, I didn't see the other Carnahan joint cop shop. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two for me is a movie you didn't see. Uh, a movie I really, really hated. Uh, Venom. Let there be carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, congrats if that's your thing, but it's not my thing. Uh, I bet if if that's your thing, you had a great time with that movie because. It's a lot of the like same joke, the like uh, venom personality and stuff. And I uh, now, did you see the first uh, Venom? I actually didn't. I've only you just seen saw the sequel yeah. Venom. There will be blood, or there will be Le- carnage. Oh, there will be carnage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's a bummer to me because like Woody Harrelson and Naomi Harris are the the villains in that. And like mm-hmm. I think they're both good actors. I think Tom Hardy's a good actor. Um I think uh Stephen Graham, who's also in that movie, is a good actor. 
like a fun actor, a fun character uh-huh. actor. And uh, it is borderline unwatchable, in my opinion. I don't know. Some people actually do like those movies, the Venom movies. Like as, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like mindless <laughs> entertainment type stuff, which I, yeah. I guess I can understand. But uh, not for me. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, I saw the first one. I remember like thinking it was pretty bad. But yeah, it also I, had like an interesting cast, like mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed was in it, and like Jenny Slate and other folks. But yeah, yeah. not not well, a good movie. I think for frame of reference, Travis, like I think, kind of has fun with the first Venom, mm-hmm. and he also hated this the sequel. So oh, okay. I guess if that tells you anything about whether or not you should ever uh, watch this movie, even if it's free on cable, yeah. uh, I think the answer is probably no. Yeah. I mean, having seen the first one and not not the second one, just like the trailers and hearing what people have to say about it, I kind of get the impression that it, it kind of takes a different... Uh, it's a little different, I think. Like a little... It's a different uh, sense of humor, maybe? It's it's very comedic, okay, and not in a way that I really appreciated. Um, I'm sure there's going to be somebody that will listen to this that is really into these movies, and yeah, and, and I think that's fine. But I wasn't on the wavelength with it at all. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I, don't know. I mean, I I don't like think I don't. There's no real movie on this list that like if someone told me they liked, I would be like, okay, even the bad ones like. Because, like, taste levels are... Everything is so subjective. Yeah. The only movie that if someone told me they enjoyed and had a good time with, Mm -hmm. that I would be like, did you get a different version than I did? Like, I do not see how is my number one, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. your number one, which is Home Sweet Home Alone, which is just a miserable, miserable piece of shit. Yeah, that that's a a very bad movie, and it's like offensively it, bad because it doesn't. The Home Alone, the first two Home Alone movies are movies that like I have a lot of fondness for. I mean, a lot of that's from growing up when I did, but like those are good movies. Like, I mean, two I think is a worse movie than one, but still very fun. But um, this is. God, it's so bad. Yeah, I mean, it even fumbles the like the basic premise. Like, there's no. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if I spoil it. I guess no, there's no, no it. there's no um, villains really. No, there's no villains. Uh, there's no villains. Um, yeah, there's no uh, Harry and Marv. Yeah, the it's it'd be like. It'd be like in the first Home Alone if they were if like halfway through the movie they were like, oh yeah, Joe Pesci actually has brain cancer and he needs to fund <laughs> his his surgery or something. Yeah, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like the <laughs> villain. Why? I'm supposed to like laugh when this guy gets tased <laughs> in the nuts now and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like the villains are kind of more like the uh, like the red herring characters from home alone one and two like uh old man marley and uh uh brenda fricker like they turn out to be like kind of likable at the end yeah uh 
a lot of bizarre choices in that movie. Um, Big thumbs down. Thumbs down, definitely. Uh, another uh, another baffling entry into the Rob Delaney film career as well. <laughs> uh, like, what, like Deadpool 2, Bombshell, Hobbs uh, and Shaw, Wrath of Man. Wrath of Man, yeah. Yeah, another 2022, or 2021 movie. Um, all right. Uh, that's enough on our least favorite uh, Yeah movies let's let's get into these uh these other lists that we had sent in yeah let's get into some of our our listener listener lists so uh we got we got a few right uh yeah yeah we have one from dennis we have one from cat we have one from harry we have one from travis mm-hmm. and then we have one from a uh, listener of the show, a uh, friend of mine named Andrew. Different Andrew. But, but not me. But not you. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is Andrew uh, G's list. Uh, he sent it in. He said, uh, wasn't sure if this first one counted, so he sent six. Um, his first one was Bo Burnham's Inside, mm-hmm. Netflix uh, movie. Bo Burnham did, which I haven't seen. Uh, the Last Duel, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Pig, or uh, Dune, then Pig, and Tick, Tick, Boom, the uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda movie. Nice. Uh, so I, I haven't seen uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, Spider-Man, or the Bo Burnham movie, but the other three are good. Uh, I Like I keep saying, I gotta see The Last Duel. You gotta see the last duel. It's on HBO Max now too. That's a little update since uh, we recorded the other day. Yeah, maybe maybe what I'll do is I'll organize where a lot of these movies that we talked about are actually streaming. Yeah, uh, and I'll I'll do like a post or something for sure. Um, just because a lot of this stuff, you know, because of the pandemic, is actually available. Like Pig, I think, is on Hulu now. So a lot of these are available to watch uh, if you have a subscription or uh, if you're like me, you know someone that you can uh, leech a subscription off of. Yeah. Yeah. So the next list I'm going to read here, this is from uh, from Kat, who was our guest on the Walk to Remember episode. And her list is in no specific order. I think it's just 10 movies that she really liked. Uh, she wanted to make it very clear there was no order. She wrote... A big no on the uh, on the piece of paper uh, and said no order. Um, yeah. Um, uh, okay. No so team. she's got Spencer on there and The Power of the Dog, Red Rocket, Licorice Pizza, No Time to Die, The French Dispatch. The Beta Test, which is the Jim Cummings movie. I don't think we've talked about that yet, right? Uh, we have not. No, I haven't seen yeah. it. I, th- I, I did uh, think about checking it out and just never got around to it. Yeah, I've heard good things. I'd like to see it. Um, she's got Doom. Finally not playing a cop, Jim Cummings. Uh, yeah, he's pl- he's played a lot of cops. Guy um, plays cops. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, if I should say this, but I think we're a couple degrees away from 
Jim Cummings. I think we know somebody that knows him pretty well, so maybe we could get him on the show. Um, I don't know what he would want to talk about, but maybe there's a 2002 <laughs> movie he likes. Maybe. You never know. Um, uh, and then Dune, she's got on there towards the top, but again, this is in no order. Uh, the Green Knight, and then uh, Shiva Baby, which is another yeah. movie Another movie I don't think we've talked about, but I've heard really good things about. Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen Shiva Baby, but I also have heard good things as well, uh, starring Rachel Sennett, who's a comedian mm-hmm. that I know from the internet, and then all of a sudden <laughs> she was in a movie that people liked, so uh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, and, and she's also got three honorable mentions here. She's got Malignant, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and Halloween Kills. Uh, another movie with Jim Cummings where he plays a cop. Uh, guy plays cops. Yeah. Uh, all right. I've got a list from Travis here. Okay. Um, who will actually be on the show finally, uh, fairly soon. Um, he sent a top and bottom six. I don't know why he picked six, but that's what he picked. Uh, so his top six uh starting at six working down to one uh king richard shang chi don't look up the last duel dune and number one licorice pizza uh his bottom six working from six to one is godzilla versus kong the little things mortal Kombat, f9 fast nine Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and number one, worst movie of 2021, according to Travis, the guy that made us watch it, Home Sweet Home Alone. <laughs> thank you, Travis. Nice. Yeah, thank you, Travis. Um, and then uh, we've got, uh, I got Harry's list here. Harry, who will be joining us on our next episode when we talk about Slackers, when we talk about Slackers and Roz. Um, he, uh, he didn't give a full top 10. He just kind of sent me a list of movies that he, he really liked. Uh, um, what he got here? Um, Censor, which I talked about, uh, the British horror film. Um, and then The Dig, which, uh, I don't, I'm not super familiar with that one. Uh, what's The Dig? Did we talk about The Dig? Yeah, it's the Netflix period drama with Carrie Mulligan and Rafe Fiennes. Um, I, I, they, oh, yeah. It probably wasn't made for Netflix. They probably just bought it at, during the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Ben Chaplin's in it, though, from Birthday Girl. Oh, very nice. Um, and then uh, uh, he said he liked Psycho Gorman a lot, which I have not seen, but I've heard about. It's like a Canadian horror comedy. And uh, his, he said his favorite movie of the year is Shiva Baby. So it sounds like we should probably see it. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, not a full top ten, but just uh, it sounds like a lot of top contenders. Um, that works. Yeah. Oh, and, and the beta test also. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jim Cummings plays cops, that mm-hmm. guy. Yep. <laughs> 
I've just got a text thread, uh, text thread from Harry where he's just like, "Oh, this movie's great, and this movie's great." Uh, oh, yeah, so I that's what I'm, sort of I'm as, reading as, off of. as they're coming to mind or whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, our final list is from uh, the current leader in the clubhouse for repeat guest appearances, mm-hmm. uh, Dennis Hunter, uh, and he gave us uh, a top and bottom five. Um, I can read. Uh, I can read maybe his one of his lists, and you can read the other if you want. Uh, do you want to read the best yeah. or the worst? Um, why don't I go ahead and read the? I'll read the best. This is Dennis's best of 2021. At number five, he's got the rescue, which uh, you and I have not seen. Right. right? Uh, I think. Think. That's like the free solo director. It's like an, a, another climbing movie. Um, he, I don't know if it's climbing. It's it's for sure a documentary. I think it's about a football team, like a school football team that uh, gets trapped in a cave, basically, and it's about the them being rescued. Dennis's number four is Malignant. Which I did not see, but you saw. Uh, yeah, yeah, Malignant's fun. It's got a really, uh, really uh, wild second half of the movie that kind of makes up for kind of a little slow and how you know I don't know, I don't want to say boring, but it's a little boring for a while. But then the second half is so wild that it's it's pretty good fun. Uh, and then Dennis's number three is Pig. His number two is The Power of the Dog. And his number one is The Green Knight. Yeah. So, pretty good top five. From what I've seen, anyways. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the ones that I've seen I liked. Um, uh, Dennis's worst of 2021 list. uh, uh, Number five, Willy's Wonderland. Nicolas Cage. Number four, Coming to America, the Coming to America sequel. Uh, basically forgot all about entirely. Yeah. If you were to quiz me on what year that came out, I would not have guessed that it came out in 2021. That seems like it came out a long time ago. Yeah. yeah well, that feels like a very 2020 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I think it was one of the first movies of this year. Like, I think that came to Amazon Prime, like, in like March, maybe February, oh, okay. March. So it, it was an early twenty-one movie. Uh, number three, one of my uh, favorite titles to make fun of is "The Conjuring." The devil made me do it. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> such a stupid title for a movie. I never saw it. Uh, well, and Dennis didn't like it, so I probably never will. Uh, number two, he has old. Uh-huh. Night Shyamalan, a movie that you and I both uh, disliked as well. Mm. Maybe not to the uh, same degree as w- Dennis, but I I didn't like it. Yeah. Right. Um, number one, he has uh, Spiral, which is the Chris Rock uh, Saw movie. Uh, Spiral, like Tales from the Saw Saga or whatever yeah. it's called. Did Did you see that? Um, no, you didn't see Spiral. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Uh, um, 
I do have a, uh, this is not an official, I don't know where Dennis would rank this on his list if he uh, were to update it, but I do know that Dennis watched Halloween Kills and uh, really disliked it like last night oh yeah he so that that might be that might be somewhere on his bottom five or a dishonorable mention at the very least yeah but i know he disliked that movie a lot yeah which is not a movie i strongly disliked i mean i thought it was no i, I mean it's stupid but, i think but i also yeah i was talking about it with him a little bit and like all of his complaints about the movie, I also agree, are stupid. So it's a movie that, like, yeah, I can understand why someone would dislike it, even if I didn't have the, you know, terrible time watching it. Um, like, the the Anthony Michael Hall stuff, in particular, <laughs> is pretty bad in that movie. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very silly stuff. But, but I don't uh, know. Kind of fun. I'd, I'd watch it some again. Some fun kills. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I agree. I think some fun. Kids. I think Dennis would kill me if he knew I had it ranked above Nomadland, one notch above Nomadland. <laughs> did, did Dennis like Nomadland last year? Um, that's a great question. I thought he told me he did, but we can ask him the next time he's on the show. Well, otherwise, I think that wraps up 2021. Yeah. Uh, what a year it was. What a year it was. What a year it was. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to do the song again. <laughs> what a year it was. Themes. Yeah. I mean, that uh, could be the theme song for 2002 also. I mean. What a year it was. Oh, what a year it was. Yeah. yeah uh, it could be. I have thought about, because uh, we've got our we've got our little synthy, mm-hmm. synthy song, which I... I purchased the rights to from some guy who made it uh uh but it it would be cool to get like a proper theme song with like lyrics or something i've thought about trying to figure out someone to commission that from i don't even know how much to pay for something like that uh i mean we we could probably sticky territory we could find somebody i think if we wanted to but i kind of like our our current theme song Maybe we should get. Yeah, I do too. Maybe we should I get the guy kinda, that that did it on the show. Yeah, maybe. Um, I just kind of want something with a little more personality, like a little, little more uh, two thousand two uh, specific quality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means? Good luck figuring out whoever I commission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so well, I'm just gonna tell them that, and then and then when they send me something, I'm gonna do the classic uh, classic thing where I tell them oh, that's not what I wanted at all. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, classic 2002. What does that mean? Like the Crystal Method or something? Yeah. Chum ni chum go. What is that song? Uh, well, that's oh, Paul Oakenfold, right? Paul Oakenfold. Or is that yeah. yeah? That's Paul Oakenfold, not the Crystal. Yeah, method. that was that was a couple of years later. But <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of the Crystal Method. Crystal Method. That's <laughs> that one Paul Oakenfold song. That's the name of the game, which was yeah. prominently used in Blade Two, a movie we're going to be talking about on this show. <laughs> that's the name of the game. That's right. <laughs> Alright. Uh well we've recorded so much podcast in the last few days that yeah. I am tapped out. Um I had fun though. You know, despite Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I I like I liked the idea and 
uh, I liked being able to talk about movies that we really liked and Mm -hmm. why we really liked them or some things we liked about them. Hopefully we uh, did them justice on this show. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, I don't think I have anything to plug um no just that we'll be back uh back on your feed pretty soon with an episode about slackers slackers and Roz. yeah slackers and Roz. Roz, the hindi language remake of what lies beneath yeah so um and i uh you're out for that i did i talked to harry on the phone about it and i was like yeah we're gonna be talking a little bit about Roz at the top of the slackers episode and i was like yeah you don't don't feel obligated to watch it um but he was like oh i'll watch it (laughs) i love the enthusiasm yeah as like (laughs) does he want to take over hosting as like you you really you really don't have to because i think that movie's like two and a half hours long um but uh, 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 yeah he really really doesn't have to yeah he knows that Um, um but if he wants to yeah yeah uh, but he he's the one who educated me a little bit about this because he's apparently seen more Bollywood films than I have, but a lot of Bollywood remakes um, of, like, American films are so long because they, uh, they stick to the plot of the original pretty faithfully, and then they do musical numbers on top of that. That, that makes sense, actually. So, that, yeah, that tracks. So, the musical numbers don't stand in for any like sp- specific scene in the remake. They're just they're just in there additionally. So that, that's why the "What Lies Beneath" uh, remake or unofficial remake is all like two and a half hours long. All right. Yeah. Uh, well. Look forward to that episode next week. Yeah, uh, on the main feed. I don't know why I said the main feed. We don't have two feeds. <laughs> Just uh, the main feed. <laughs> my brain is broken from too much like <laughs> Zoom and Audacity recording time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna log off and go watch something on TV. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this. Uh, sorry if the release schedule was a little wonky but we we finished it and we hope you Mm -hmm. hope you enjoyed it yeah and if uh you have any uh list that you want to send after the fact Mm -hmm. let us know and uh we can talk about it i guess yeah Uh, either with you or on the show whatever yeah or if you have any comments like you you know you disagree with any of our choices or if you really mm, actually if you if you disagree with any of my choices i don't care <laughs> <laughs> or if you really liked uh, the little things or yeah uh, i guess okay if you if you really liked a movie that we didn't like feel free to I, yeah that i'm definitely willing but if if you didn't like something that i liked like uh, that's that's a level of i don't know i don't really care okay <laughs> i mean i everyone's taste is subjective so i mean it's yeah. whatever uh, Me, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to come across as grumpy, but yeah, it's just like, like if you're just gonna tell me, no, that movie actually sucked. <laughs> <I'm> like, okay, <laughs> so uh, what? <laughs> well, not that I think any of our listeners, like at least any of the ones I've talked to, ever would. Right. Like, everyone's been cool, but it's just like, <laughs> who gives a shit? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. 
or if you like saw memoria and you're like well that movie put me to sleep uh well i'll read that yeah you I'll can tell that. andrew i'll that, read that comment that some of his yeah. picks were boring yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fine i'm i'm okay with that just don't tell me mine my yeah. list is perfect and i'm great yeah uh all right well i think that's about it for yeah please rate review subscribe on itunes uh i guess yeah i think you can review on google as well so please do that cool all right well goodbye we'll see you on the next episode yeah yeah and adios as always adios